The reading this morning is taken from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has, has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Thank you very much, Julia, for reading that to us. Um, it's great to be with you today. Um, can I add my welcome to Ben's as well? Um, if we've not met before, I hope we can say hello at the end of the service. China is one of the most difficult countries in the world to be a Christian. Official churches are very closely monitored, and it's still illegal for under-18s to attend church services. And during the 80s and 90s, there was a real growth in so-called underground or house church uh, movements supported by the local and international missionaries there. And one of these local missionaries was a guy called Brother Yun. And although he's now exiled from China, he spent about 23 years there ministering and supporting the church. Over the course of his ministry, he was arrested and sent to prison three separate times and spent a total of seven years in prison because of that state persecution. The first time he was arrested, he was away from home um, ministering to a church and he was caught by the security police. Him and four of his co-workers were thrown into prison uh, in a cold cell in the depths of winter, no heating. His coat had been tossed out into the snow. It was below freezing outside. In the corner of his prison cell, dark and damp though it was, there was an old drum. And Brother Young began to beat out a rhythm with his hands in handcuffs, and he started to sing. And the words he sang were that of Psalm 150 that Julia just read for us. Reflecting back on that experience, he says, The more I sang, the more I was filled with joy. I stood up and praised the Lord, and gradually my frozen hands and feet regained feeling, and I wasn't cold anymore. In the midst of this horribly painful experience, Brother Yun held a deep joy in the Lord that overflowed in praise. And as we look at that same psalm this morning, my prayer is that we too would be able to praise God for everything, in any way, whatever our circumstances. So as we do that, let me pray uh, before we look at God's word together. Father God, please help us to understand what you are saying this morning from your word. I pray that you'd help us to see afresh how amazing you are. And change us, Lord, by your spirit, so that our lives would be a response to all you are and all you've done. Amen. Psalm 150, you might have noticed, marks the end of the book of Psalms. Um, and in many ways, the whole book is a picture of the Christian life. Near the beginning of the book, we have Psalms of lament and despair, which then go on to prayers for rescue and celebration of victories. Before here at the end, we have these five Psalms of pure praise. And there are no requests, no petitions, no prayers, but simply instruction and encouragement to praise the Lord 
And here in this psalm, we have that instruction repeated 13 times. We can explain praise as an outward, an outward expression of internal passion. An outward expression of internal passion, by which we mean that praise is a response to what we know and believe. If you've ever been to a concert or a gig, at the end, if the concert was any good at least, the crowd would go wild with applause and you get up on your feet and you cheer. Or if you're at a football match and your team scores, it's the same idea. The cheering is that outward expression, celebrating the performance of the musicians or the footballers. We're responding to who they are and what they've done. Now, uh, let me ask you, what does a journalist and a policeman have in common? And I'm not thinking of the start of a bad joke designed to uh, offend both policing and journalism. No, they both might be investigating something and they might follow the thought process of the five Ws. So where, why, when, what and who. And those are great questions to ask as we walk through this psalm together. So we'll start in verse one with where. Where should we praise God? If you look again with me at verse one, which says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. The simple answer from verse one is everywhere. The sanctuary was the place where God dwelt uh, for his people in the Old Testament. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, God promises to live in and amongst his people by his spirit. In other words, the sanctuary for us is no longer a building and the instruction applies to everywhere on earth. And the second half of the verse goes on to echo this. The word heavens could also be translated as sky, the place outside the sanctuary. So there's no place where it's not appropriate to praise God. We can't limit God or the praise of God to special places or times. And as humans, we've always been tempted to box God up, haven't we? To a special country or a place or even a church on Sunday. We can easily slip into thinking that this here is where God is and this here is where we engage with him. But to know that we can praise God anywhere is liberating. Cathedral or kitchen, hospital or holiday cottage, we can draw close to the Lord regardless of when or where. On to our second W for investigation, why? Why praise God? Look again with me at verse two. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So when we praise God, there are specific things that we can praise God for. Throughout the Psalms, we're told why we should praise God in response to something he's done or something in his character. We're always given a basis for which to praise God. And it's about specific facts, not feelings, that are subjective. Think back to that example that I used earlier of being at a concert. Imagine you've been invited to a performance of the Vienna, Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, the musicians are the best of the best in the world. And in fact, as a group, they are so elite that they don't have a permanent conductor for themselves. They invite the best conductors from other orchestras all over the world. And these conductors, they only get invited back if the orchestra thinks they're good enough. Imagine you're there and they're performing one of the um, sort of great works of uh, classical music, perhaps something like Beethoven's Fifth, you know, the one that goes da-da-da-da. 
And after the final note dies, uh, I won't sing the whole thing, it'll just be embarrassing. After the final note dies, it's a flawless performance. The crowd is on their feet with rapturous applause. And of course, you know why everyone's applauding. It's because of what the orchestra's just done and because they are who they are. They are the best in the world. So for the Old Testament readers of Psalm 150, when they read the phrase, mighty deeds, they're being reminded of two things in particular. Firstly, God's creation. Psalm 19 puts it as the heavens declare the glory of God. So God's creation. And secondly, redemption. God's saving work for his people when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. This was no small thing. Leading the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the grasp of Pharaoh, and through the Red Sea to freedom, it was a mighty deed. You see, the basis for praise is God's character and his activities, not mine, nor how I feel. And can I say here that there are plenty of times, undoubtedly, when we don't feel like praising God, or we're tired, or any number of other reasons. But this command to praise in Psalm 150 is an invitation to step out of ourselves and our circumstances. And for example, we, we can look up into the night sky and be amazed that the God who created us, sorry, the God who created the vast infinite of the universe created us and cares for us so we can praise him and it's an invitation to remember God's saving work for us not freeing us out of slavery from a foreign land and leading us through a sea but by dying on a cross to save us from slavery to sin so that we could be reunited to the one who made us so any time any place any circumstance we can know that God loves us, and we can praise him. And that's why we start our services with songs that aren't about us and about what we do, but they're reminders of who God is and what he's done. If you think back to the song that we started today with, it goes like this, come on, come in, everybody. There is a God who is worthy of all our praise. He alone is Lord. Come on and join with creation. Let everything shout to praise him. Glory to Christ, he's the one who made us. Lift up your voices to heaven's king, bow down before his throne. Our perfect saviour died for our sin. Hallelujah. Literally, praise the God who keeps his promises. Praise to Jesus Christ, the king. But as we look at verse 2, we don't just praise God for his mighty deeds, what he's done, but also for his excellent greatness. In other words, who he is, his character. And they're linked because as we see in the Bible what God has done, we can know who he is. Graham Kendrick, the songwriter, puts it like this, that in praise we are celebrating truth about God. And there are many aspects of God's character that we could go into here. We don't have time this morning to look at them all. But here's one. Here's one. God the Son who was there at the creation of the universe, still sustains the world today. And he was sustaining the world, even at the point of his death. Even as he was beaten and flogged and insults were hurled at him, as we sang about in that second song earlier, 
he was controlling the laws of physics that caused his body to hang when he was nailed to that cross. He willingly, willingly put himself there and did all of this out of his great love for you and for me. He is a compassionate, caring, loving, redeeming God. Okay, that's at least four characteristics, but aren't they worth praising God for? And it gives us confidence to know when we should praise God too. The answer is, just like for Brother Yun, anytime, whatever our circumstances, even, even in our darkest moments, we can have reason to thank and praise God. And it's precisely in those moments that we need to ground ourselves in the truth of who God is and what he's done. By orienting ourselves to God and taking the focus off us, we can put whatever troubles we face in this life into perspective. Praising God then becomes a foundation for trusting God. I recently heard someone share a list of five things that they preach to themselves and to their family when things are hard. God the Father loves me. God the Son died for me. God the Spirit lives in me. I'm on my way to glory. All things work together for good. God the Father loves me. God the Son died for me. God the Spirit lives in me. I'm on my way to glory. All things work together for good. These five things are always true because of God's mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. Things might seem out of control. It might be grief, cancer, depression, a relationship that's gone wrong, financial worries, stress, anxiety, or something else altogether. No matter what our circumstances, if we put our trust in the creator and redeemer God, we can have a certain hope of a certain future. To put it another way, the writer Eugene Peterson says, every prayer pursued long enough ends up in praise. Every prayer pursued long enough ends up in praise. For example, if we persevere in prayer for someone suffering in grief, then the end result is praise because God's a God of comfort. Or if we pray for someone suffering ill health, then the result is praise because he's a God of healing ultimately in the new creation, even if not in this one. So having looked at where, why, and when we should praise God, the next question is what? What does praising God look like? So if you look back with me over verses three to five, and if the answer to the question where was everything, then the answer here to how is quite simply in any way, in any way. After all, the psalmist is listing out the full orchestra. We have the trumpets for the brass, the lute and harp for the strings, pipe for the wind section, tambourine and cymbals for the percussion. The harp was used in the temple, the trumpet for the royal announcements, the pipe was just the instrument that everybody had, like the recorder from primary school. And the point here is about variety. The writer's just listing all the instruments he can think of from all walks of life. And whatever you can find, just like Brother Yun did with his drum, you can pick it up and get on with praising God. Although I did check and you can buy a lute online for about 400 quid, so Dave, hopefully next week, lute. would be great. And so it's great here in 2022, we have a variety of different ways that we can musically praise God. And music is a gift from God, isn't it? And it has this amazing power to stir our emotions in response to the truths that we sing about in the lyrics. 
The danger, though, can I suggest, is that it can become about our experience and how we feel. And if we visit a church where everyone's jumping up and down with flashing lights, loud music, and smoke machines, the temptation is to think that that might be the pinnacle of praise. If we don't have all of this, then somehow our praise is lacking. And it's not that these things are wrong, can I say, in and of themselves. After all, verse 5 tells us to use loud symbols. But if we think that this is a better way to do it, then we've missed the point. We run the risk again of boxing God off to a specific time or place or even volume. We can praise God anywhere and in any way we can. And particularly as we meet with other believers, like this morning, we're to encourage one another as we sing in response to who God is and what he's done. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I'm really thankful that for those who help to choose songs and lead us in singing them here, they're chosen carefully to live up to that command from the Apostle Paul in Colossians. And that's the most important thing, that as we meet and sing together, not that musical ability isn't important, because that's, that is. I mean, after all, if you put me up here with a guitar, that would just be distracting. What the psalmist is getting here is getting at here is variety again. And we, we shouldn't try to limit the range of instruments or styles. We might have personal preferences, sure, but they're all valid ways to praise God. I read a story of a missionary in Pakistan who went to a church service where they sang this Psalm 150 in Urdu with drums for accompaniment. There were dustbin lids for cymbals, teapots for the tambourines, and the congregation were clapping and stomping their feet, all to the tune of what we know as, Oh My Darling, Clementine. John Stott, the late Anglican theologian, put it like this, There is nothing wrong with excited, exuberant praise. How often are we concerned about fitting in or what other people think of us rather than joyfully responding in whatever way to the truths about God that we're reminding one another of when we meet? And can I say what an encouragement it is to hear us all singing together? Don't worry about what it sounds like. Sing out loudly as a way of preaching to yourself and to those around you. Finally, who should praise God? Who should praise God? And look at verse 6 together, which says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All people, all people of God's creation are called to praise him. So until this point in the psalm, the instruction has been to God's people in Israel. But now the doors are flung wide to all people, and we're all invited to praise God And there's a hint here towards evangelism, to how this is received by those outside. When we praise God, we show how great he is, and we can pray that the world will see it. This isn't just sung praise. Anytime we talk about how amazing God is, this is praise to God. And it's that outward expression of that internal passion. And we can sometimes get ourselves tied up in knots. We can think that we have to have all the answers or the best arguments, or the latest ethical topics in our heads, to try and convince people to put their trust in God. But it doesn't work like that. We know it doesn't. 
the Bible tells us we can't convince people to become Christians anymore that I could pick up this building with my bare hands. And while sometimes might have, people might have valid questions that need serious answers, what we should be doing is showing people who Jesus is and what our amazing God is like. And can I encourage us to start here this morning after church? Let's make it part of our normal conversation to talk about what God's doing in our lives. Because let's face it, if we can't talk about how amazing our God is with our fellow Christians, then we're going to struggle, we're going to struggle when we're with non-Christians. And we can pray that as we talk about the mighty deeds and the excellent greatness of God, others would come and praise him too for everything in any way, whatever our circumstances. Let me pray to close. Lord God, when we consider who you are and what you've done, our only response can be to praise you. Help us not to forget your mighty deeds and your excellent greatness. And I pray that we would live lives of praise that overflow to those around us. For your glory. Amen.